as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the <coughs> Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So may my words as ever be in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, let me just begin by saying uh, how lovely it is to be with you all. Um, and um, so, Maurice, thank you for the invitation. And I, in fact, Anne and I first met here in the Institute, didn't we? When you were training, and uh, we had those fun evenings um, opening up the scriptures together in, in, in the seminar on the Friday and Saturday. In fact, I seem to remember there was one weekend I got a phone call from you, Anne. You said, Are you joining us? Would you? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so fortunately I remembered that I was preaching uh, this evening. <laughs> well, um, it's lovely actually to be honouring Bridget as well as um, um, thinking maybe for most of us again about this amazing uh, moment that Luke records of Jesus being presented in the temple. It's a passage that I, I have preached on before, probably a number of times, 
But every time I come to prepare a sermon, it's like it's the first time. But I have so enjoyed thinking about this passage. And it's stretched me in all sorts of different ways. And I've probably written the sermon a number of times and then started again. And as I was driving up this morning, I, I got one of those, the, the, the sort of preacher's crisis, which was, well, there's lots I can say about this passage. In fact, I could talk about this passage all day, but I'm not sure how I'm going to land it. I don't really know what the, the word is coming out of this passage. Is it Matthias, Matthias, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever wondered, what is it actually God you're saying in this passage <laughs> to us today? Um, and I, I'm, it may be that I haven't quite, still haven't quite got there. But I had lunch with my daughter, and, she, and she's uh, have three daughters, and she is the one who is the most gracious <laughs> to letting me just speak <laughs> and pretending to be interested in what I'm saying. And so she's a great sounding board. I said, "Can I just talk to you about the passage?" We just, and she said, "She said, yeah." She said, "Of course I will." And um, as I was talking. You know, I said, so there's all these interesting things, and I'm, and I'm going to share some of them with you. And, and eventually, as we talked around, eventually I, I, I came on something that I felt was at least pastorally appropriate. Um, so anyway, I'll get there, so I promise <laughs> I, I will at least attempt to land it, even if you think at times in the next few minutes, where the heck is William going to this? <laughs> And those of you who know me will know uh, I'm a wanderer. Apparently, there's a book. So let me say, I'm going to set the scene in two ways. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to set, I'm going to try and set the scene pastorally in the sort of cultural moment we're in, and then I'm going to more specifically set a sort of scene for the story. So even as I was driving up um, to the to the institute a few minutes ago, there was a there was a um, program on Radio Four investigating the phenomenon of traditionalism. Anyone heard about traditionalism? Anyway, they were looking at it through the prism or the lens of um, the, the increased interest in North America in the Russian Orthodox Church. I don't know whether you know about this, but this is a phenomenon, apparently. And it's all part, this is not my words, it's all part of a sort of increasingly sort of right-wingism that's sort of spreading around the Western world. So there's the sort of evangelical right, as we know in North America, that's very pro-Trump. I'm not making any kind of judgments when I say this particularly, I'm just, saying as it, as it is. Then there's another group who are in, in increasingly attracted to orthodox expressions of the Christian tradition and the Russian orthodox in particular, because they see that now as somehow a true expression of Christianity, a, a bastion against the sort of liberal West and, and the West losing its Christian values. And then there's a plethora of other sort of uh, right-wing type movement, Steve Bannon stuff in North America, a retrieval of paganism and different things. And I think as Christians, I, I feel this as a Christian, where do we put ourselves? How do we do public theology at a time when all our precious words 
are being commandeered on behalf of movements and people that we might not feel comfortable to align ourselves with. And it struck me that Luke, one of the ways you could describe Luke, I mean, sometimes described as a historian, he's the one gospel writer who tells us that he goes back to do eyewitness sort of stuff, research, and to research carefully the things he's going to write about. But another way we might understand Luke is he's a public theologian. I mean, Luke's gospel, in a sense, is written as an apologia to the Gentile world for the revelation of this Jewish Messiah and his significance to the world. The gospel's written to Theophilus, maybe a person, lover of God, or it may be to lovers of God. So that's that, that sort of way I was thinking, what, that, what might there be in this story that might orientate us into the right disposition towards 2024? Another commentator's described it as being the year of nationalism. We live in turbulent times. So picture the scene. <laughs> Here's me wondering. Picture the scene. Um, at the time of, that Joseph and Mary were, <coughs> were hurrying along to the temple with baby Jesus in their arms. Now if you go, which you won't be able to do, I, I suspect for a while, or you may not want to for a while, but if you go to the Temple Mount now, uh, archaeologists have excavated not only the, the original steps up to the entrance of the temple as it would have been, in Jesus' time, but also the walkway along the, I think it's along the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, uh, at the original ground level, where the various markets were where you would have bought your animals and birds for sacrifice. And so you can actually walk on those pavements that um, people are going up to the temple into the into the outer courts and then into the temple would have walked and now uh, on that on that southern sort of side of, of the temple mount uh, sits the al-aqsa mosque just above those steps and like the last time i was there it was a friday morning and I, I i was the only person on the steps everyone else was being sort of hurried away so we weren't around for friday prayers and it's one of those moments gosh standing on the same steps. <laughs> uh, amazing, amazing view there across the Kidron Valley. So, um, so there we are, and we're coming to the end of Christmas. This is the end of Christmas, isn't it? And it's, it's the final sort of beautiful epiphany story. And there's a number of things, you know, if we think of a, if we think of a painting, we think of a frame, and sometimes we just don't see the frame, but maybe, the sort of some of that sort of background stuff of, of Luke and Luke as a writer and as a public theologian, and we think of the historical context uh, in which we find ourselves in this story. All those sorts of things, maybe the frame, and then like like many of those paintings where there's all sorts of interesting things going on, there are all sorts of interesting things going on in this passage. And one of the things I think it's worth noticing is the role of the law 
the way in which the law actually facilitates and constrains the way the story unfolds. So one of the sort of key motifs I think we're invited to consider is the motif of fulfillment. And Luke really honours the scriptures, the, the, the law of the Lord. Of course, it's a changing of the ages, isn't it? There's a there's there's something happening, but this but this is this is the life of Jesus now perfectly in sync with that law of the Lord. It's, it's almost like in a play, the sort of scribbles of the, the stage directions that just that that together with and we'll have a look in a moment at the at the role of the Holy Spirit and human agency, all in this beautiful sort of choreographed cooperation in order that salvation is realized and um, and God's plan for our world and for humanity is fulfilled. So just, just to notice maybe the role of the Spirit, and you know the Spirit in these early chapters of Luke is really important. So Jesus, of course, is conceived by the Spirit, but before that, um, John the Baptist is filled with the Spirit before he's even born, interestingly. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit when she hears the news from Mary. John, when, um, sorry, Zechariah, when John is born, before um, he gives us that beautiful prayer, uh, the Benedictus, um, is, Luke tells us, filled with the Spirit. And now here we get to um, the presentation of Jesus in the temple, and there are three references to the Spirit around Simeon. The Spirit rested on Simeon. The Spirit reveals to Simeon that he would not see death until he had seen God's Messiah. And then this extraordinary, then he's guided by the Spirit into the temple at the right time, the right place, but he has to go with that. I mean, there's, there's his own will. So in all this, it's not a sort of, it's not, um, it's not, that, it's not coerced by God, it's, it, but it's just this, the coincidence of law, of spirit, of, of discipleship, obedient, faithful, righteous, discipleship that is that is 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 sufficiently tuned in to what God's doing that people are able to be in the right time at the right in the right place at the right time. And of course Anna was a prophet and to be a prophet one needed to be filled with the Spirit. So I want to just just maybe one of the things we it's really helpful to do is just to reflect on these different human agents as models of discipleship. So Mary and Joseph themselves have had to say yes to God, haven't they? They've had to submit to the law, and they've had to submit to the to the Lord. It's a little bit, it's a bit of jazz at the beginning of, of this passage because it's not entirely clear the way Luke expresses it, exactly what was what was what was prescribed by Torah and what was unique about them wanting to do something, feeling drawn to bring Jesus, to 
present him to consecrate him to the Lord. Mary's there for her purification on the 40th day, <coughs> and that's the purpose of the sacrifice. Samuel, Simeon taking Jesus in his arms, probably he was a member of the council, he was authorized to maybe bless the child, bless um, the parents, all that sort of thing. So there's Mary and Joseph. And then, you know, it's really, I'm going through this strange moment in life where I, I'm, I'm relating less now to the Joseph and Mary carrying the baby up to the temple, and I'm relating more <coughs> to Simeon and to, and to Anna. I'm sort of moving into that season. And they were remarkable people. Um, and um, it's worth just maybe just re reminding ourselves what's, what the characteristics of Simeon's um, disposition was. He was a righteous and devout man, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. And for Anna, just this is this is really interesting. I was interested by this. She was of a great age. It's not entirely clear whether she's been she's she's now 84, having been a widow since early age, after seven years of marriage, or whether she's been a widow for 84 years, or something like that. I can't remember exactly. So it's it, it's possible that she's over 100. It's not entirely clear. But she is somebody since widowhood, she has a bit of hyperbole probably, but she's pretty much spent all her time in the temple praying and fasting. So a, a fairly extreme example of discipleship, but it shows the sort of level of commitment in those two people that they were sufficiently aligned with what God was doing, that they were able to respond when that moment, when that moment came. So they were devoted, they were righteous, and they were seeking, or Saxonian was seeking the consolation of Israel. Uh, and of course, right now, all sorts of thoughts, when we even hear that word Israel, all sorts of um, thoughts are in our mind, and we're thinking, well, I can't imagine seeking the consolation of Israel right now. Um, and then Anna, interestingly, when she when she comes in, she starts when she sees the child, she starts praising God and speaking about the child. To whom did she speak about the child? Listen to this: to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now here's the sort of back to the sort of public theology thing. So, and, and this is a deep mystery for us. But the, the consolation of Israel, or the redemption of Jerusalem, it's a little bit like saying the consolation of the United Nations, or the redemption of the, of the world. Because Jerusalem was, if it's not right there, it's not right anywhere. But if it is right there, it's right everywhere. And it's a, it's a profound mystery. And of course, as Christians, that's, that's fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. 
Um, and I, I'm gonna, I want to, to, to conclude on that in a moment. So my penultimate reflection was just on, on old age, and it was this. <laughs> um, many of our churches are filled primarily with people who are elderly. And temptation sometimes is to be frustrated with that <laughs> and disappointed with that. But actually that might be a huge gift to us at this moment in time. I think I've been struck by the potential for wisdom, the potential for faithfulness, and also the potential to encourage those of us who are in the, the, the later seasons of life to be challenged and encouraged to rise up and be prophetic for the church of our day in the same way that Simeon and Anna were. So okay, there's lots of things to think about. I've wandered, I know that. And you might say, well, William, what ultimately is your point? Well, I think this, this was it, and I may not even be able to articulate it very well. Given the state of the world we're in, sometimes there is, it's, it, to, to, to meditate, to reflect, and to inhabit a story like this begins to allow the Spirit of the Lord, I think, to, to work, do that deep surgery on our hearts, and to draw us into seeing the world as he sees it. And the, the, the things that really struck me about Simeon and Anna, and which actually is the ultimate focus for Luke, the main thing in this story, in this picture, is the big picture, which is, in the words of Simeon's character, the consolation of Israel. And in the words ascribed to Anna, those speaking about the child to those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to transpose those phrases for you into a phrase that may be more familiar and may be more accessible for you, and a phrase that Jesus himself used in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Long for God's rule. If you long for something, you orientate your whole life in order to get it. Um, a couple of my daughters are longing for a house at the moment, <coughs> and they're having to make a lot of sacrifices in order to get the house. There may be other big things in our lives, whether it's starting a family or whatever it is, and it means we have to change a lot in order to get that, because that's the longing of our hearts. And I think, and I think that ultimately the focus for Luke's gospel is that mission that Jesus came to realize, which was not just the glory of Israel, but the light to the nations, the consolation actually of the world through the consolation of Israel, the redemption of the world through the redemption of Jerusalem. And so I, I found myself 
um, praying, Lord, give to me a fresh longing, hunger, desire to see your kingdom come. And I think, and I just, just to say this, I think, of course, it's not a kingdom of this world, is it? It's not nationalism. It's not retrieving some traditional version of Christian religion or particular sort of cultural expression, although we can't fully throw off some of those things. But it's actually going for the thing that will cost us a sword too, will come through our own souls as we have to let some things go and that we have to share in the opposition and um, the conflict that that might create for us as church. Amen. Amen. <laughs>